All right, appreciate these guys uh, receiving the offering. If you got a Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. And so this morning, we're actually taking a break from the book of Revelation. Everybody's like, ah. <laughs> I mean, we have been hitting it hard and heavy in the book of Revelation for, for months. Uh, we have been studying some amazing things, truthfully, some hard things uh, in the book of Revelation, right? I mean, it's been kind of sobering, some of the things we're learning. And we finished chapter six last week. And so I, I knew that we had Mother's Day coming up next weekend. And I also know that we're going on a mission trip. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going to start Revelation chapter seven on one Sunday and try to cram a chapter's worth of uh, information in one sermon. You guys know I can't even preach three verses, right, on a Sunday morning. And so there's no way we're going to do that. So we're going we're gonna to pause on Revelation for a few weeks. Uh, we have some other things coming down that I think will be a blessing. And so this morning, it's kind of just a, 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 a message that I developed out of my personal reading uh, in the last couple of weeks. I've been coming through First and Second Samuel, and uh, man, the Old Testament is rich in, in not only history, but I think application for the, for the New Testament believer. And so this morning, I want to I just do a quick character study on this man named Jonathan. He was a friend of David. He was the son of Saul in the Old Testament. And, and, uh, and, and again, in my reading, I finished up 1 Samuel. I transitioned into 2 Samuel. Uh, but man, as I studied and, and just read, there were some things that stuck out about Jonathan that were significant to me. And I thought, well, man, what a blessing this would be, I think, for our church body. 1 Samuel 23, I want you to look at verse 15. The Bible says, and David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And so the title of the message this morning is just Jonathan, the strengthener. I want to look at, uh, take a deep dive, if you will, in Jonathan's life and, and learn some things about him that we can probably apply to our own life. Let me give you just a little bit of historical context as we get to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 and 2 Samuel, again, some of the greatest books, in my opinion, in the Old Testament, because there's history that's unfolding about the establishment of a kingdom. Israel is, 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 is wanting a king, and, and they wanted a king in their rebellion to God, and God gave them a king named Saul, and he was the first king of Israel. But listen, Saul had some character defects. He had, re he had rejected God's authority in his own life, and because of that, he was rejected by God as being the king of the nation. And so if you've read this Old Testament story, you know that Saul was the first king, but then God removed the kingdom from him and gave it to another king named named David. And so some of you have actually read the Old Testament. Praise the Lord. And listen, David was anointed king, but it was many years before he actually took the throne, right? The rightful king had been anointed, but was not yet ruling and reigning. And, and that's key. And we'll get to the, the significance in a second. And now listen, Saul, the rejected king, had a son named Jonathan. And, and in Saul's estimation, Jonathan would be the next king of Israel because he is the son of a king. Does that make sense? Saul was the king. He had a son named Jonathan. It would, by default, go to the son. If you've been watching the news this week, you've seen King Charles, uh, you know, officially uh, ordained as king, so to speak, and, and the whole ceremony this week, some weird things we could talk about, some conspiracy theory. I think Cody's over there stewing. Let's talk about that. Okay, whatever. 
But I'm just saying that it, it, it's natural to flow in the lineage of the family, okay? And so Jonathan would have been the next king after Saul in, God's est- in, in, in Saul's estimation, but God had a different plan. God chose David to be king. And so now where we find ourselves in the Old Testament is that Saul is seeking to kill David. As a matter of fact, all of 1 Samuel, the rest of it, is, is this playing out of David running for his life from Saul. And, and so Saul has now turned evil. Saul, uh, David is, is fleeing for his life. He's hiding in caves. He's hiding in the woods. He narrowly escapes Saul at every turn. This is like a movie that you would go watch. You know what I'm saying? It, it's just action-packed, full of plot twists. And at the end, God's word will be established, man. It's really amazing. Now, doctrinally, as we get into the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, there's a great picture doctrinally of the tribulation period because there's a false king, Saul, who will show up later in our timeline in the tribulation period called the Antichrist. And that Antichrist will seek to destroy God's people, the nation of Israel, and there will be a remnant of Israel fleeing for their lives just like David fled from Saul. And they'll be hiding in the caves and they'll be hiding in the dens and God will miraculously deliver them through his grace and through his mercy. And he'll use both Jew and Gentile to accomplish that. And ultimately, in the end of that tribulation, the rightful king, Jesus Christ, will sit on the throne and rule and reign. And so, and so as we study these Old Testament books, please understand there is a historical component but there's also a doctrinal teaching of all of your Bible. And so, and so now we have this man named Jonathan. And doctrinally, Jonathan is a picture. He's a prophetic picture and type of someone who's going to help the Jews, the remnant, during the tribulation period. As a matter of fact, he's a picture of those that, that in the future will risk their own lives to deliver and to strengthen the Jews against the Antichrist. He's an amazing man in Scripture. Now, devotionally, what we're going to see out of his life is Jonathan is also a picture, devotionally, of a believer that despite his birthright and his family lineage, chooses to align himself with the rightful king, King David. And because of that, he becomes a faithful friend and an ally to the true king. Are you guys all, you guys all tracking right now? I gave you like about a week's worth of sermon material And that's just the introduction. And so this morning, we're going to look at the life of Jonathan. And we're going to see this soldier that truly becomes a strengthener of David. And so let's get into it. Point number one this morning in your notes. I want to give you his identity. Let's talk about who Jonathan is. Number one, he is the son of Saul. He is the son of Saul. Now, we find Jonathan mentioned for the first time in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, and what we find in 1 Samuel 13 is a battle between Israel and the Philistines. And, 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 and Jonathan, Saul is mentioned as the, as the king, but Jonathan is mentioned in verse 3, and I think it's on the screen, right? The Bible says about Jonathan, Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear and all Israel heard say that Saul had spent in a garrison of the Philistines. Now, time out. Who, Jonathan, the first thing that we have recorded about Jonathan in the Bible is that he's a warrior. 
He's a fighter. He's a soldier. And he's a good one at that. As a matter of fact, he smote with a thousand men. He smote an entire garrison of the Philistines. Who took the credit for that battle? His father. His Saul. I think you have, and again, man, I, can't, I don't have time for rabbit trails this morning, but, but here is a father that's jealous of his son's success and victory. And man, if we're not careful as, as, as physical parents and even spiritual fathers as we disciple people, if you're not careful and you don't guard yourself, you'll become jealous of your spiritual children's success in ministry. God help us to be the parents and the disciplers that get excited when our disciples, our disciples do it better and more effective and more fruitful than when we did it. Amen? I mean, listen, the dudes I disciple by God's grace, they have a greater ministry, a greater knowledge of God's word, a greater fruitful life for God's glory. It shouldn't make me jealous at all, and I don't have to take the credit for their success. And so, and so we get insight both to Saul and Jonathan. And so listen, Saul in this story... Man, he is an Old Testament type or picture of Lucifer himself. I, I said he's a picture of the Antichrist, but can I just tell you, man, and without going there and, and taking the time, the Bible tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel. He was a beautiful man to look at, if, that, if that's okay to say in our perverted nation. He was, he was, he was, he was beautiful to look at. And, and listen, if you go and compare Scripture with Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, Lucifer in his original creation was beautiful. He was, he was the, the pinnacle of God's creation before God created man. He was beautiful. He was adorned with precious stones. Saul was anointed for a special purpose. And listen, Lucifer was anointed for a very special purpose. Saul was prideful and in his pride lost his position. And Lucifer was prideful before God and lost his position. Saul was rejected by God, and Lucifer was rejected by God, and Saul ultimately becomes an adversary to God's people, and Lucifer became an adversary to God's people. Do you see the connection? And so Saul is this tremendous type of Lucifer. He's a tremendous type of the devil, the Antichrist. Here's where it gets interesting. He had a son. He had a son named Jonathan. You say, what's the significance of that? Well, well, here's the significance. There's only two spiritual families on this earth. And, and listen, every one of us are born into one of those families at physical birth. And it's not God's family. As a matter of fact, we enter into the devil's family through our physical birth. Romans chapter 5, and again, all the verses, man, John chapter 8 is a great, great Proof text, Jesus dealing with religious Pharisees in his earthly ministry. He says, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he's a liar and the father of it. And listen, Romans chapter 5 tells us that because of Adam's sin, that sin has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. When we are born into this world, we're born in the fallen image of Adam. We are born into the spiritual family 
of the devil. And listen, that, that will hit some of us a little crooked because we all think that we're all God's children. Well, listen, you have to be born into God's family. You have to be born into God's family. You say, so you have to ask the question, how is it that I can be born into God's family when my sin nature and my physical birth puts me in the devil's family? Well, let's look at the second thing. The, the second family on this earth is God's family. And just like you enter into a family by a birth, listen, the way you enter into God's family is by birth. It's not by a denominational preference. It's not by a religious exercise. You enter into God's family by a spiritual birth. Listen, it's been said from this pulpit many times, your real family is your forever family because that's what you're born into. In other words, we all have a flesh and blood family. But listen, man, if you've been born again, according to John chapter 3, if you've been born by the incorruptible seed of God's word, you have been born into a spiritual family. That's the family you'll spend an eternity with. And you need to be thankful for that family, by the way. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. In Ephesians 3, it talks about the whole family in heaven and in earth is named with the name of Jesus Christ. Man, aren't you thankful? And, and so listen, what we see in Saul is that he had a son. But that son, his name Jonathan, and he's the son of a father who's like Satan himself. And Jonathan represents for us our natural birth. You didn't get to choose that. You didn't, get to, you didn't have a choice. You were born in Adam's image. And then you proved out who you were by your life by your actions. And so, and so Jonathan, for us, is a picture. He's a type of who, who all of us are in our original birth. And we need to be born again. We need to come to a place where we choose David instead of Saul. It's a great picture of salvation in the Old Testament. And, and by the way, Jonathan is going to make a choice. And he's going to make a choice that, that's going to redirect his life and his relationships forever. Number two, I want you to see Jonathan's sight. And, and, and so again, as we track through Jonathan's life through the Old Testament, Jonathan being obedient to his father, going to battle, uh, doing some different things. There, there's another story in, in 1 Samuel 14 where, where, man, the army of Israel is distressed. The Bible says in verse 24, that Saul adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on my enemies. So the people tasted not any food. Now listen, there's a time of war. And if anything, you would want your soldier, soldiers strong, right? You would want them to have provision to be strong for the battle. But, but Saul's a poor leader. He's a selfish leader. And so he charged his people, Hey, nobody eat until we have victory. That seems like really backwards motivation. It, it's, it's so messed up. And so, and, so, and so that's the standard. That's the oath. And it says, all the of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put the end of his rod that was in his hand, and he dipped it in a honeycomb, and he put it in his mouth, and check this out, and his eyes were 
enlightened. And man, listen, Saul's a terrible leader. He's a selfish leader. He has no regard for the men that he's leading. And with face with battle, his men are full of fear instead of being full of faith. And they're famished because of his poor leadership. But man, it's interesting that at this point, Jonathan didn't hear the words of his father. And so because of that, he saw what was available and accessible to him. Honey on the ground. Honey that had dropped. Now listen, some of you in this room and and watching online, you've studied the Bible enough to know that honey in the Bible is actually a, a picture of the Word of God itself. And so Jonathan got to the point in his life where his father's words, he was deaf to them. But he He took what was accessible to him, the honey of God's word. And and by the way, it opened his eyes. It enlightened his eyes. Let me give you the the, the proof text here. and Get the key in your notes and then we'll get the the, the proof text. So here's here's the key. God's words will open our eyes to the reality of the truth. So it doesn't matter who your father is physically. It doesn't matter your your nurture or your nature, God has dropped some things for you to receive, His words. And if you'll receive His words, your eyes can be open to the truth. And by the way, that's what people should want anyways. The truth. Okay, so so check it out. Psalm, Psalm 19, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Check this out enlightening the eyes. Those two words, statutes, commandments, they're they're representative of God's words. And God says that these things are pure and they're right even to the enlightening of the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they, the judgments, than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and keeping of them there's great reward. And, and can you just see how this is playing out in Jonathan's life? Man, he doesn't hear the word of his father, the natural father, the, 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 the man that's likened to the, the, the devil and the Antichrist, but he's, he's receiving what's been dropped in front of him, the honey of God's word. And he responds rightly to it, and when he tastes it, his eyes begin to open. Do you remember when that happened in your life? Man, do you remember when, when, when somebody began to take the Word of God and, and teach it to you and make it available to you? And listen, it, it generally happens through the gospel first. And your eyes became enlightened to your sin and your need of a Savior. And man, you took that Word of God and you consumed it and God opened your eyes and you began to understand some things. See, God's Word will open your eyes to the reality of the truth And then secondly, God's words will strengthen us for the battles at hand. And so listen, Saul's entire army is distressed, they're weak, they're they're (laughs) discouraged, they're trying to battle in their weakness instead of strength. Man, you can't win a battle like that. You can't win a battle like that. And even after you get saved, can I just tell you that, listen, there are things that you got to have to be successful as a Christian, you have to have God's words giving you sustenance. Proverbs 16 and verse 24 says, Pleasant words are as an honeycomb, sweet to the soul 
and health to the bones. And listen, I'm not saying don't go to your medicine cabinet. I'm not telling you to stop taking your medicine. But what I am telling you is God has some words that are as efficient, if not more so, to the healing of your soul and spirit. It's his words. And man, listen, we have all been guilty of trying to fight the spiritual battle in the weakness of our flesh, and God has given us provision that he's dropped from heaven, his very words that are able to give us strength to succeed. But many times that's the thing we leave on the countertop. We leave that on the bookshelf, and we'll run to whatever else method or, or, or corrective thing that we think we can fix our problem with. Listen, God's words are able to strengthen us for battle. Psalm 119, 103. The psalmist says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Colossians chapter 1 says that, that when we increase in the knowledge of God, it strengthens us with all might. And that's why we have, no offense, weak Christians today. We have weak Christians, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be dogmatic, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but, but I am trying to say, listen, the reason that we have weak Christians today is because we haven't had our eyes enlightened by the Word of God, and we don't see the real battle, and we don't even know who the real enemy is. Hello? Man, so when you increase in the knowledge of God's Word, the Bible says you're getting stronger. 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, we don't, it's not on the screen, but listen, John writes and he talks about young men. He says they're strong because the word of God abides in them and they've overcome the wicked one. And so listen, man, if you have been overcome, instead of being the overcomer, ask yourself the question, am I picking up the honey that's available? You say, well, man, I come to church and I'm glad you come to church. But all we're going to do at church is teach you how to get the honey. We don't want to be like Saul and say you can't touch it or other religions that say you can't read it and understand it. We actually are going to say, here it is. Get as much as you want so that your eyes can be opened. Hello? Man, listen. It's available. And so Jonathan has his eyes beginning to open to the truth and the reality of what God is doing in his life and who his father is, but also who David is. Which leads us to the next point, number three, Jonathan's subjection to David. Just as much as Saul is a picture of the Antichrist and Lucifer, David is a picture of Christ. He is a picture of a man who is after God's own heart. He is the rightful king. He is the anointed king rightfully he is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so look at 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 5. And I, I, don't, I don't think I... Did I give you the reference? I didn't put it on the screen. Yeah, I did put it on the screen. 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 5. It came to pass when they made it in the speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and he gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and his bow and his girdle. 
David went out with us wherever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And, and so you have this an amazing relationship now that's fostered between Jonathan and David. Why? Because Jonathan was the son of Saul, but now his eyes have become opened. And now he, he knows there's something different about David. Now there's two pictures in this passage, and man, God's word is so good. Number one, Jonathan is a type or picture in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. And by the way, when you go back and read that passage, the Bible is saying that Jonathan is the one that loved David. He's the one that loved David first. That's the way God works in our life, right? He loved us first. We love him because he first loved us, right? Right? Okay, I just, you guys got to give me some help, man. Let me know you're awake. Can, can you see what Jonathan did? Listen, he loved David, number one. Secondly, he stripped himself of his own garment. And do you understand that's what Christ did for us? In Philippians chapter 2, the, the Bible tells us that Christ didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men, and being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Matthew 27 verse 28 says, They stripped him, and they put on him a scarlet robe. You know, Christ laid aside his... his, his he didn't lay aside his deity, but he certainly humbled himself in the sense that his humanity, his, his glory was hidden through his humanity. And, and man, just like Jonathan, he, he, he loved David, he stripped himself, and by the way, he gave David his weaponry. It was his weaponry, and yet he gave it to David. He gave him his sword, his bow, and his girdle. And, and many of you know Hebrews 4.12. Man, the sword is a picture of God's word. Man, the girdle and the armor, the outfit, we have the whole armor of God according to Ephesians chapter 6. And listen, there, there's, some, there's some cool stuff we could talk about. So, so Jonathan is a picture of Christ. But secondly, Jonathan is also a picture of a Christian. Because he's humbling himself before David. Because David is the rightful king. And, and listen, we, like Jonathan should humble ourselves before the rightful king. You see, in Jonathan's case, it was David, but in our case, it's Christ. And so here's the point. Listen, Jonathan chose David. He already knew what God had, had called on David's life, and he chose to receive that fact and to position himself in submission and subjection to David. By the way, salvation is a choice. Salvation is a choice. In other words, you and I acknowledge what Christ has done. We acknowledge who He is, and we yield ourselves in submission to that finished work that's already been accomplished. David was already anointed king, and it was up to Jonathan to accept it or not. Christ finished the work of redemption on the cross of Calvary. It's up to you to receive that or not. It's by grace, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so Jonathan made a choice. He said, I, I know what God said about you, and so I'm submitting myself to that. 
That's how a person gets saved, man. They receive what Christ has already done. Secondly, Jonathan's soul was knit to David. Man, we can get in some cool conversation about what that means. You know, that, that, that phrase, knit together, shows up a couple of times. It shows up actually even in the Pauline epistles, Colossians chapter 2. And, and listen, when you become a believer in Christ, you become the body of Christ. You're put in Christ's body in the sense that two now become one. Well, well that's unity. I mean, Lee was talking about that earlier, man. We, we ought to be unified because we're positionally unified in Christ. We ought to be unified as a church body. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. When, when Paul's writing to the Colossians, he says, I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and as for as many of, has not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. Any, any of you guys, any ladies in the room knit? You guys do the old knitting? Nobody? That's kind of old school. I mean, yeah, I know, I know some of the old schoolers in Jana because she's like old soul. <laughs> Young but old soul. Everybody else is like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> knitting. Knitting. Okay, knitting some things together. It's where you take thread or yarn or something like that and you knit it in such a way that it becomes locked together, right? If someone's ever knitted you a sweater or knitted you a, uh, you know, a, a hoodie or, or not a hoodie, but a, uh, what am I, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Huh? A toboggan. Thank you. Man, you, you, can't, you can't separate those, those threads. They're locked in. They're knit together. Man, God, God positionally has done that with us. We are knit together with Him. Our souls are knit together, which means our church ought to be knit together. Man, if there's division in this body, it's not because God put it there. It's not because God put it there. As a matter of fact, we have to have our hearts knit together in love. And so, and so Paul is admonishing the, the church at Colossae, listen, Christ is the head of the body and all the other parts are connected to each other, the joints and the band. And man, the result of that is ministry because we're knit together. And then, and then thirdly, i got to hurry, but listen, Jonathan humbled himself before David. And again, because he's a picture of a Christian, not only did he choose David, not only was he, his soul knit to David, but man, he humbled himself to the point of giving everything to David. In other words, he lost his identity for David's identity. He became less so that David could become more. Well, let me ask you a question, Christian. You may be saved. You may be born again. But man, is your, is your identity still wrapped up in you? Or have you let go of who you are and what you want out of your life and your agenda and your authority and your weaponry? Have you relinquished that fully to Christ? And if not, why not? Because He's the rightful King. And, and so true subjection to Him means that He gets it all. He gets it all. And I, I know I'm talking to Laodiceans this morning. I, I get it. 
Man, we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's our assessment of ourself. The reality is, God says, man, we're poor, blind, miserable, naked. And we actually need to think less of ourself and think highly of Christ and lose our identity in Him. And that's a struggle, man. That's a struggle for you. It's a struggle for me. But Jonathan figured it out. It's not about me. It's all about the rightful king. Number four, let me show you Jonathan's selection of David. And again, as we fast forward through this story, again, Saul is still trying to kill David. He's, he's mad. He knows that he's lost the kingdom. Even though he's still in power, he's, he's lost the heart of God. He's lost the heart of his people. 1 Samuel 20, verse 27, and so, and so this scenario plays out. It says, It came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday nor today? In other words, David skipped out on dinner because every time he shows up, Saul's throwing javelins at him. You don't really want to show up when you show up for dinner and you got a javelin being thrown at you, right? And, and so now Saul figures it out. Hey, David's not here. And so he asked Jonathan, hey, where's he at? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go. I pray thee for our family hath a sacrifice in this city. And my brother, when he hath commanded me to be there, and now if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee. See, see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not to the king's table. So Jonathan goes to bat for David and says, hey, He's going to Bethlehem. He cleared it with me. Everything's good. Look at Saul's reaction, verse 32. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, uh, excuse me, verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thy own confusion and to the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. You see, Jonathan made a choice to align himself with David against his father's will. And and man, listen, it angered Saul so much. Verse 32, Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said, hey, why are you mad, bro? That's in the Hebrew, if you study that out. Okay, he's like, "Why why are you wanting to kill him? Verse 23, and Saul cast a javelin at him, to smite him. Good grief, man. You see how angry this dude is? Like he's throwing, he's chunking javelins at his own son. Okay, so, so, so Jonathan figured it out. He's like, man, this joker's crazy. It upset, it upset Jonathan. By the way, Saul's not going to win the Father of the Year award, but there is some significant spiritual principle we can glean. And here's here's one of the principles. Here's the first one. Who you choose to serve is going to impact your relationships. Who you choose to serve is going to impact your relationships. And by the way, who you choose to serve is a choice. And you've either either chosen to serve God or you haven't. So, so, So no offense. You've already made the choice at least up to this point. And maybe God would have you consider making a different choice. Because listen, who you serve impacts your relationships. The problem for Jonathan is the same problem many of us face. 
when we really commit to follow Christ, like Jonathan is going to follow David, it's going to cost you some things. And it's going to cost you relationships. So here's the second key in your notes. Blood can't be thicker than Bible. Blood can't be thicker than Bible. And you say, man, I don't like that. Well, I didn't write it. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39. I mean, Christ told us that because of him, there's going to be division. There's going to be division. Christ says in, in verse 34, Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I'm come not to send peace, peace but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter, against her mother and the daughter-in-law, against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Is that not what's happening in 1 Samuel? Because of Jonathan's choice of who he's going to serve, man, his blood relationships are now trying to kill him. So, so if, you've, if you've been saved and, and you've been vocal about your faith and you're not a closet Christian and nobody knows that you're a believer in Christ and you've actually shared that with people that you love and appreciate and, and have a relationship, there probably was some friction and tension. So much so that some people even rejected you. By the way, in, in Muslim countries in this world, when someone gets saved out of a Muslim background, can, can I just tell you that immediately they're denounced from their family? If not, pursued to be killed. So, so no offense to your American Christianity, but many times we don't count the cost of what it really, really means to follow Christ. And if you choose to serve God with your life, like Jonathan chose to serve David, the rightful king, well, it's going to cost you relationships. And you just have to figure out who's the most important relationship that you have. Man, man the, the kingdom is not going to be Saul's. And by the way, the kingdom is not going to be Jonathan's. It's going to be David's. And so, and so David has to be okay with that. As a matter of fact, in, in verse 31, again, just for time's sake, listen. I mean, as Saul is ripping into his son, man, just giving it to him, like, you're an idiot. You, you made a poor choice. You're confused. It's a shame to your mother. Then he even says in verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. So what? God wasn't going to establish Jonathan as the king anyways. And, and Jonathan was humble enough to know that. The question is, do we know that? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Saul is still operating under the premise that he's going to get what he deserves. Jonathan, the, the kingdom. But a quick Bible study shows us that, that God's already changed his mind. David has been selected. David has been anointed. And so by Jonathan choosing David, just like when you and I choose Christ to serve him and commit to him, and Jonathan sealed his own fate in his father's eyes. Just like you and I seal our own fate in our spiritual old man father's eyes, the devil himself. Can I just tell you that now the devil knows that because you're on the other side, he's got nothing for you but to kill you. He's got nothing for you. 
Man, you've made a decision to follow Christ with your life. You've been disavowed from your family, your friends. You prioritize the kingdom of God over your own personal kingdom. Friends, that comes with a cost. David was willing to pay the cost. The question is, are we? And then lastly, and and so listen, all of this leads up to this last blank. Because this is the man that God has grown and matured and established to now become a strengthener of David. Look at verse 20, or excuse me, verse chapter 23, verse 15. Jonathan's strengthening of David. And so again, man, it is kind of interesting how this shakes out because David, again, is, is fleeing for his life. He's, he's hiding. At this point, he's hiding in a wood. It says David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood, and Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood, strengthening his hand in God. You see, it takes a mature believer, a mature follower of Christ, to be able to build other people up. Carnal Christians can tear people down. But it takes maturity to build somebody up and to strengthen it. I mean, we've seen the progression in Jonathan's life that he was the son of Saul, but his eyes became open. He submitted himself to David. He chose David. That sounds a lot like the life of a disciple and the maturing process of a disciple. So that now Jonathan is a capable minister. And listen, when David is down and despised and rejected and depressed and fleeing for his life, and there's a dude named Jonathan that comes in and he finds him and he strengthens his hand in God. Man, that's biblical counseling 101. It takes a mature Christian to do that. It takes a mature Christian to lead someone else through difficulty. Let's let's get the two principles and we're done. Number one, so we're going to view this through the lens of, of a, an effective minister counseling someone else. Jonathan reached David where he was. He was in the woods. And if we're ever going to, we're going to ever build people up, we're going to strengthen people in ministry, we have to go where they are first. Man, I, I'm telling you, listen, it, by the way, that's the same principle that applies to the mission we can't sit in this room in these four walls and expect lost people to come. Our job is to go where they are. We have to go to the woods. So Jonathan reached David where he was, and he was hiding for his life in the woods. And so Jonathan risked his own life in seeking out and searching for David. That takes maturity. And again, as disciple makers, as leadership developing leaders, man, We have to go where the people are. Man, we're all guilty of waiting for our phone to ring. But the truth is, you know where people are that need a phone call and need a text message and need a conversation. And it's your responsibility, and a mature Christian understands this, to actually go engage them where they are. And so, so, man, listen, Jonathan did that. He's He's a biblical type of a mature believer. And then number two, when he got to the woods, and listen, he rehearsed to David God's words. So his ministry of counseling David, who's in despair and distraught and fleeing for his life, 
His ministry was based on the authority of God's word. As a matter of fact, if you read verse 17, he said to him, fear not. And I wish we had another hour and a half. And we could talk about verse 17 as biblical counseling ministry. He said to him, fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel. Well, God had already told David that. But David needed to be reminded of what God said. And and the truth is, there's a lot of you in this room that know some things about God's word, but, but you've, for whatever reason, not lived it out by faith. Maybe you're living in fear. And you need a Jonathan in your life that can rehearse back to you what God has already said. It sounds like a discipler to me. It sounds like a discipler, a faithful discipler that's mature to find you where you are and say, brother, listen, man, you don't need to fear. You don't need to be hiding in the woods. The Antichrist ain't going to get you. What God said about you is true. Go back to the authority of God's word. As a matter of fact, the ability to strengthen other brothers and sisters in Christ comes from having an absolute standard, the authority of God's word. And that ought to be what we share with people. And and so, listen, I know we're done, but listen. Would you be like a Jonathan? Could could you have the capacity to actually take someone in their distress and discomfort and discouragement? Listen. And open this book and give them the biblical prescription for their circumstance? Could you do that? And if not, why not? Because maybe you need to grow in your own maturity. See, the sad thing is, man, in our culture of Christianity, we have, come, we have minimized the Christian walk to coming to a service. But, but, but coming to a service is only to equip and encourage you to mature in your relationship with Christ and to mature in this book. And if we're not raising up effective ministers, I'm not really sure what we're raising up. That's the local church's job, is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. And it starts with each of us having a desire, and to know Christ, to know His Word, to have our eyes opened. And when God gives us opportunity to open that book and minister to other people for the glory of God's sake. Amen? Does that, does that help you? Listen, man, Jonathan is a key dude in the Bible. He's a powerful man. He's a godly man, a God-fearing man, a lover of good men, a lover of the rightful king, and a lover of God's word. God used him to strengthen his friend. God help us to be strengthened by... We all need a Jonathan, amen? And, And after we get a Jonathan, we all need to be a Jonathan. Let's be a Jonathan. All right, we're out of time. Let me pray for us. And we're going to dismiss. Father, we, we love you so much, God. Thank you for your word. I pray, uh, Lord, as, as we consider these things, God, help us to understand. And first, first, help us to understand that we can be born into the right family. Thank you that Jonathan, in, in spite of his birthright, he chose David. God, for us in this room, we can choose Christ. We know that we're born in sin. We know that we're spiritually a part of the devil's family according to the authority of God's word. 
Salvation is a choice in receiving the finished work of Christ. If there's anyone in this place that doesn't know you today, God, I pray they know you because of that truth. For those of us that are saved, Father, help us to be a Jonathan. God, we, we want to be people that are maturing in your word so that we can be ministers to other people. Help us to make the right choice, to worship the rightful king, to love your words and have our eyes opened, and to minister those things back as you give us the opportunity. God, we'll give you the glory. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, very quick, we're not going to have a song of invitation, but I would just like to challenge you, man. Maybe you're here today and you say, Jay, I'm not saved. I'm still stuck in the devil's family. If you'd be honest enough before the Lord say, that's me, can you just pray for me, Jay, that, that I understand what Christ did for me personally? Would you raise your hand and say, Jay, that's me. I need to be saved. I need to be born into God's family. God bless you for raising your hand. You can take it down. God bless you for doing that. Anyone else that would say, man, that's me, just raise your hand. Just very quick. Between you and the Lord.